Chapter forty one of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty one. Still, at the time I believed it fully, and after a few minutes given to wild, confused imaginings, I sat down and forcibly collected my thoughts to bend them upon all the circumstances of my fate. My mother's spirit must have appeared to me, I thought, as a warning, probably of my own approaching death. But death was a thing that in itself I little feared, for all I hoped was that some opportunity might be given me of distinguishing myself before the grave close over my mortal career. Now all the trifles which we have time to make of consequence when existence seems indefinitely spread out before us, lost their value in my eyes as i imagined or rather as i felt what we ought always to feel that every hour of being is limited one plays boldly when one has nothing to lose and carelessly when one has nothing to gain and thus in the very fancy that life was fleeting from me fast i found a sort of confidence and firmness of mind which is generally only gained by long experience of our own powers as compared with those of others while the thoughts of what I had seen were yet fresh in my mind, a messenger announced to me that the prince desired my presence in the great hall of the chateau as speedily as possible, and without staying to make any change of dress, I followed down the stairs. As I was crossing the lesser court, I encountered my little attendant. He had been straying somewhat negligently through the good town of Sedan, and had been kept some hours at the gates of the citadel on his return. I had not time, however, to give him any very lengthened reprehension, but bidding him go to my chamber and wait for me, I followed the Count's servant to the council hall. It was a vast, vaulted chamber in the very centre of the citadel, and the candles upon the table in the midst, though they served sufficiently to light the part of the room in which they were placed, left the whole of the rest in semi-obscurity, so that when I entered, I could but see a group of dark figures seated irregularly about a council board, with several others dispersed in twos and threes, talking together in various parts of the room, as if waiting the arrival of some other person. The words, "'Here he is! Here he is!' pronounced more than once as I entered, made me almost fancy that the council had delayed its deliberations for me, but the vanity of such an idea soon received a rebuff, for a moment after the voice of the Count de Soissons himself, who sat at the head of the table, replied, "'No, no, it is only the Count de Lorme. Monsieur de Guise disdains to hurry himself. Let who will wait?' Advancing to the table, I now found Monsieur le Comte, with Barduville, Varicaville, Saint-Ibal, and several others whom I did not know, seated round the table, while the Duke of Bouillon was conversing with some strangers at a little distance but my greatest surprise was to find Monsieur de Retz near the Count de Soissons, though I left him so short a time before at Paris. He seemed to be in deep thought, but his ideas, I believe, were not quite so abstracted as they appeared, and on my approaching him he rose and embraced me as if we had known each other for centuries, saying at the same time in my ear, I hear you have received the true faith. Be a martyr to it this night, if it be necessary. I now took a seat next to Varicaville, who whispered to me, We have here an ambassador from Spain, and you will see how laudably willing we Frenchmen are to be gulled. He will promise us men and money and what not, this Marquis de Villafranca, 
but when the time comes for performance not a man nor a stiver will be forthcoming perhaps i may thwart him replied i remembering at the sound of his name that i had in my hands a pledge of some worth in the diamonds which achilles had pilfered at barcelona varicaville looked surprised but at that moment our conversation was interrupted by the duke of bouillon turning round and observing that the conduct of monsieur de guise was unaccountable in keeping such an assembly waiting in the manner which he did to council gentlemen said the count hastily we have waited too long for this noble prince of lorraine to council the rest of the party now took their seats and the baron de beauvau rising informed the count that he had executed faithfully his embassy to the archduke leopold and the cardinal infant who each promised to furnish his highness with a contingent of seven thousand men and two hundred thousand crowns in money in case he determined upon the very just and necessary warfare to which he was called by the voice not only of all france but all europe a war which by one single blow would deliver his native country from her oppressor and restore the blessing of peace to a torn and suffering world he then proceeded to enter into various particulars and details which i now forget but it was very easy to perceive from the whole that monsieur de beauvau was one of the strongest advocates for war he ended by stating that the marquis de villafranca then present had been sent by the cardinal infant to receive the final determination of the prince my eyes followed the direction of his as he spoke and rested on a tall dark man who sat next to the duke of bouillon listening to what passed with more animation in his looks than the nobility of spain generally allowed to appear he was simply dressed in black but about his person might be seen a variety of rich jewels evidently showing that the pillage which i had seen committed on his house at barcelona had not cured him of his passion for precious stones after the baron de beauvau had given an account of his mission the duke of bouillon rose and said that now as the noble princes of the house of austria had made them such generous and friendly offers and sent a person of such high rank to receive their determination all that remained for them to do was to fix finally whether they would by submitting to a base and oppressive minister stoop their heads at once to the block and axe and add all the most illustrious names of france to the catalogue of richelieu's murders or whether they would by one great and noble effort cast off the chains of a usurper and free their king their country and themselves the duke spoke long and eloquently he urged the propriety of war upon every different motive upon expediency upon necessity upon patriotism he addressed himself first to the nobler qualities of his hearers their courage their love of their country their own honour and dignity and then to those still stronger auxiliaries their weaknesses their vanity their ambition their pride their avarice but while he did so he artfully spread a veil over them all lest shame should step in and recognising them in their nakedness hold them back from the point towards which he led them he spoke as if for the whole persons there assembled and as if seeking to win them each to his opinion but his speech was in fact directed towards the count de soissons on whose determination of course the whole event depended 
Barricaville did not suffer the duke's persuasions to pass without casting his opinion in the still wavering balance of the count's mind and urging in plain but energetic language every motive which could induce the prince to abstain from committing himself to measures that he might afterwards disapprove it is a common weakness with irresolute people always to attach more importance to a new opinion than to an old one and monsieur le comte turning to de retz pressed him to speak his sentiments upon the measure under consideration the abbe declined protesting his inexperience and incapability as long as such abnegation might set forth his modesty to the best advantage and enhance the value of his opinion but when he found himself urged he rose and spoke somewhat to the following effect i see myself surrounded by the best and dearest friends of monsieur le comte and yet i am bold to say that there is not one noble gentleman amongst them who has a warmer love for his person or a greater regard for his dignity and honour than myself did i see that dignity in danger did i see that honour touched by his remaining in inactivity my voice should be the first for war but while both are in security nothing shall ever make me counsel him to a measure by which both are hazarded i speak merely of monsieur le comte for it is his interests that we are here to consider it is he that must decide our actions and it is his honour and reputation that are risked by the determination to me it appears clear that by remaining at peace his dignity is in perfect safety his retreat to sedan guarded him against the meanness to which the minister wished to force him the general hatred borne towards the cardinal turns the whole warmth of popular love and popular admiration towards the count's exile the favour of the people also is always more secure in inactivity than in activity because the glory of action depends upon success of which no one can be certain that of inaction in the present circumstances is sure being founded on public hatred towards a minister one of those unalterable things on which one may always count the public always have hated and always will hate the minister be he who he will and be his talents and his virtues what they may we have at first a momentary popularity and he may have brief returns of it but envy hatred and malice towards the minister are always at the bottom of the vulgar heart and as they could never get through life without having the devil to charge with all their sins so can they never be contented without laying all their woes misfortunes cares and grievances to the door of the minister thus then hating the cardinal irremediably they will always love the count as his enemy unless his highness risks his own glory by involving the nation in intestine strife it is therefore my most sincere opinion that as long as the minister does not himself render war inevitable the interest the honour the dignity of the prince all require peace richelieu's bodily powers are every day declining while the hatred of the people every day increases towards him and their love for monsieur le comte augments in the same proportion in the meanwhile the eyes of all europe behold with admiration a prince of the blood royal of france enduring a voluntary exile rather than sacrifice his dignity and with the power and influence to maintain himself against all the arts and menaces of a usurping minister still patriotically refraining from the hazardous experiment of war which 
in compensation for certain calamities, offers nothing but a remote and uncertain event. Peace, then, let us have peace, at least till such time as war becomes inevitable. While de Retz spoke, the Duke of Bouillon had regarded him with a calm sort of sneer, the very coolness of which led me to think that he still calculated upon deciding the prince to war, and the moment the other had done, he observed, Monsieur le Damoiseau, souverain de commerce, one of the titles of de Retz, Methinks, for so young a man, you are marvellously peaceably disposed. Duke of Bouillon, said de Retz, fixing on him his keen dark eye, were it not for the gratitude which all the humble friends of Monsieur le Comte feel towards you on his account, I should be tempted to remind you that you may not always be within the security of your own bastions. Hush, hush, my friends, cried the Count. Let us have no jarring at our council table. Bouillon, my noble cousin, you are wrong. De Retz has surely as much right to express his opinion, when asked by me, as any man present. Come, Monsieur de Lorme, give us your counsel. I replied without hesitation, that my voice was still for peace, as long as it was possible to maintain it, but that when once war was proved to be unavoidable, the more boldly it was undertaken, and the more resolutely it was carried out, the greater was the probability of success, and the surer the honour to be gained. "'Such also is my opinion,' said the prince. "'And on this, then, let us conclude to remain at peace till we are driven to war, but to act so as to make our enemies repent it when they render war inevitable.' "'Whether it is so or not at this moment,' said the Duke of Bouillon, "'your highness will judge, after having cast your eyes over that paper.' and he laid a long written scroll before the Count de Soissons. The Count raised it, and all eyes turned upon him while he read. After running over the first ordinary forms, the Count's brow contracted, and biting his lip he handed the paper to Varicaville, bidding him read it aloud. It is fit, said he, that all should know and witness, that necessity, and not inclination, leads me to plunge my country in the misfortunes of civil war, Read, Varicaville, read. Varicaville glanced his eyes over the paper and then, with somewhat of an unsteady voice, read the following proclamation. In the King's name. Dear and well-beloved, the fears which we entertain that certain rumours lately spread abroad of new factions and conspiracies, whereby various of our rebellious subjects endeavour to trouble the repose of our kingdom, should inspire you with vain apprehensions you not knowing the particulars, have determined us to make those particulars public, in order that you may render thanks to God for having permitted us to discover the plots of our enemies, in time to prevent their malice from making itself felt to the downfall of the state. We should never have believed, after the lenity and favour which we have on all occasions shown to our cousin, the Count de Soissons, more especially in having pardoned him his share in the horrible conspiracy of 1636, that he would have embarked in similar designs, had not the capture of various seditious emissaries sent into our provinces for the purpose of exciting rebellion, of levying troops against our service, of debauching our armies, and of shaking the fidelity of our subjects, together with the confessions of the said emissaries, fully proved and established the criminality of our said cousin's designs. 
the levies which are publicly made under commissions from our said cousin the hostilities committed upon the bodies of our faithful soldiers established in guard upon the frontiers of champagne the confession of the courier called vaucelle who has most providentially fallen into our hands stating that he has been sent on the part of the said count de soissons the dukes of guise and bouillon to our dearly beloved brother gaston duke of orleans for the purpose of seducing our said brother to join and aid in the treasonable plans of the said conspirators and the farther confession of the said vaucelles stating that the count de soissons together with the dukes of guise and bouillon conjointly and severally had treated and conspired with the cardinal infant of spain from whom they had received and were to receive notable sums of money and from whom they expected the aid and abetment of various bodies of troops and warlike munitions designed to act against their native country of france and us their born liege lord and sovereign these and various other circumstances having given us clear knowledge and cognizance of that whereof we would willingly have remained in doubt we are now called upon in justice to ourselves and to our subjects to declare and pronounce the said count de soissons together with the dukes of guise and bouillon and all who shall give them aid assistance counsel or abetment enemies of the state of france and rebels to their lawful sovereign without within the space of one month from the date hereof they present themselves at our court wherever it may be for the time established and humbly acknowledging their fault have recourse to our royal clemency signed louis no paper could have been better devised for restoring union to the councils of the count de soissons war was now inevitable and after a good deal of hurried desultory conversation in which no one but the duke of bouillon showed any great presence of mind my opinion as the youngest person at the table was the first formally called for by the count de soissons i had not yet spoken since the king's proclamation had been read and had been sitting listening with some surprise to find that men of experience talents and high repute carried on great enterprises in the same desultory and irregular manner that schoolboys would plot a frolic on their master i rose however with the more boldness while varicaville muttered to himself the spaniard will carry the day i resolved however that this prognostication should not be wholly fulfilled if i could help it and addressing monsieur le comte i said your highness has done me the honour of asking my opinion there can be now i believe but one war appears to me to be now necessary not only to your dignity but to your safety and whereas i before presumed to recommend inaction i now think that nothing but activity can ensure us success for my own part i am ready to take any post your highness may think fit to assign me one of the first things however i should conceive would be to secure the capital and the next to complete the levies of troops so that the regiments be filled to their entire number neither of these objects are to be effected without money and as the cardinal Infant has promised a considerable sum and the minister in his proclamation gives you credit for having received it i hope the marquis de villafranca comes prepared to fulfil at least in part the expectations held out by his royal principal most unfortunately replied the marquis in very good french 
At the time of my departure, no idea was entertained that the French government would so precipitate its measures. Otherwise, his highness, the Cardinal Lanfant, would have sent the promised subsidy at the time, and I know that no one will regret so much as he does this unavoidable delay. Varicaville looked at me with a meaning smile, and indeed it was evident enough, as it was afterwards proved by her conduct, that Spain was willing to hurry us into war, without lending us any aid to bring it to a successful determination. I therefore rejoined without hesitation, feeling that the proverbial rashness of youth would excuse some flippancy, and that I could not carry through my plan without— under these circumstances it seems to me very likely that spain our excellent ally will save both her money and her troops for probably before her tardy succour arrives we shall have struck the blow and gained the battle but what can be done young sir demanded villafranca hastily spain will keep her promise to the very utmost on my honour on my conscience had i the means of raising any part of the sum in time to be of service I would myself advance it, notwithstanding the immense losses I sustained by the Catalonian rebels. Many a man's honour and his conscience would be in a very uncomfortable situation if the means of taking them out of pawn were presented to him on a sudden. That consideration, however, did not induce me to spare Monsieur de Villafranca, whom I believed, from all I had heard of him, to be as tergiversating a diplomatist as ever the subtle house of austria had sent forth i replied therefore if that be the case and who can doubt the noble marquis's words i think i can furnish the means whereby monsieur de villafranca can fulfil his generous designs and put it in his power instantly to raise great part of the sum required every one stared and no one more than the marquis himself but rising from the council table i whispered to varicaville to keep the same subject under discussion till I returned, and flying across the courts of the arsenal, I mounted to my own chamber. Achilles, cried I as soon as I entered, the Marquis de Villafranca is here in the arsenal. Are you still resolved to restore him the diamonds? I am resolved to have nothing to do with them myself, replied Achilles, but since the adventure at Lyon, I find that I had better give up both gold and diamonds, and content myself with simple silver for the rest of my life, if I would not be whipped through the streets, and turned out in a grey gown. But as to giving them back, all I can say is, your sublimity is a great fool, if you do not keep them yourself. It will be of more service to me to give them than to keep them, replied I, but I will not do so without your consent and having by this time drawn them out of the valise, I held them out towards him. "'Give them, give them, then, in God's name,' cried the little man, shutting his eyes. "'But do not let me see them, for their sparkling makes my resolution wax dim. Take them away, monsieur. If you love me, take them away. My virtue is no better than that of Danae of old.' I did as he required, and hurried back to the council chamber, where all eyes turned upon me as I entered and I found that the five minutes of my absence had been wasted on conjectures of what I could mean. "'Monsieur de Villafranca,' said I, as soon as I had taken my seat, "'you said, I think, that if you had any means of raising even a part of the sum required, in time to be of service, you would advance it yourself upon your honour and conscience. Now it so happened that a person with whom I am acquainted, 
was at Barcelona when your house was plundered, and in that city bought this string of diamonds, which were said to have belonged to you. And I held them up, glittering in the light, while the eyes of the Marquis seemed to sparkle in rivalry. He gave them to me, I proceeded, and I am willing to return them to you, on condition that you instantly pledge them to three-quarters of their value to the jewellers of this city, the money arising therefrom to be poured into the treasury of Monsieur le Comte, and you shall also give further an hundred pistoles to the person who saved them from the hands of the rabble of Barcelona, he being a poor and needy man. The proposal was received with loud applause by everyone, except the Marquis de Villafranca, whose face grew darker and darker at every word I spoke. "'This is very hard,' said he, with the most evident design in the world, to retreat from his proposal. "'Those diamonds are family jewels of inestimable value to me.' "'They are nevertheless diamonds which you shall never see again,' replied I, "'except upon the conditions which I mention. "'Nor do I see that it is hard. "'Monsieur le Comte will give you an acknowledgment "'for so much as they produce as a part of the subsidy from Spain, "'advanced by you.' Upon the sight of that, your own prince will repay you, deducting that sum from the amount which he is about to transmit to Monsieur le Comte. Monsieur de Lorme's observation is just, said the Duke of Bouillon. You express the most decided conviction, Monsieur le Marquis, that His Royal Highness would instantly send us the subsidy. If so, the Count de Soissons' acknowledgment will be as good as a bill of exchange upon your own prince. "'But the proverb says,' replied the Marquis, "'put not your faith in princes.' "'It should have said, "'put not your faith in marquises,' rejoined I, "'somewhat indignant at his attempt at evasion. "'However, Monsieur le Marquis, the matter stands thus. "'If you consent to what I propose, "'we will send for the jewellers. "'The sum shall be paid, "'and you shall have the Count's acknowledgment. "'Then, if you can get the money from your prince, "'you have the means of regaining the diamonds.' with the sole loss of a hundred pistoles. If your prince did not intend to pay the subsidy, and you were not quite convinced that he would pay it, you should not have promised it here, in his name, and backed it with your most solemn assurances of your own conviction on the subject. At all events, whether he pays it or not, you are no worse than when you thought the diamonds were irretrievably lost, but so far the better that you have had an opportunity of showing how willingly you perform what you pledged your honour and conscience you would do, if you had the means. A slight laugh that ran round the council-table at his last sentence, I believe, determined Monsieur de Villafranca to yield without any more resistance, seeing very well at the same time that the only existing chance of recovering his diamonds at all was to consent to what I proposed. He felt well convinced, I am sure, that the Cardinal Infant had not the slightest intention in the world of paying the sum which he had promised. But, however, he had a better chance of obtaining his part thereof than any one else, and therefore, as there was no other means of ensuring that his beloved brilliance would not be scattered over half the habitable globe before six weeks were over, he signified his assent to their being deposited with the jewellers of Sedan, in a tone of resignation worthy of a martyr. The syndic of the jewellers, with two or three of his most reputable companions, were instantly sent for by the council, and during the absence of the messengers a variety of particulars were discussed, 
and various plans were adopted for the purpose of commencing the war with vigour and carrying it on with success amongst other things the prince announced his intention of entrusting all the steps preparatory to a general rising of the people of the capital to de retz and myself and though i thought that there were one or two dissatisfied looks manifested upon the subject no one judged fit to object probably weighing the risk with the honour they were quite as much pleased to be excused the count's enterprise as discontented at not having been distinguished by his selection at length the jewellers were brought before the council and by their lugubrious looks it was evident that the worthy citizens of sedan expected their noble and considerate prince to wring from them a heavy subsidy their brows cleared however when the diamonds were laid before them and their opinion of the value was demanded and after some consultation they named a hundred and fifty thousand crowns as a fair price the further arrangements were soon made the merchants willingly agreeing to advance a hundred thousand crowns upon the deposit of the jewels before the next morning as soon as this was concluded the marquis de villafranca drew forth his purse and counting out a hundred pistoles he pushed them across the table towards me saying with a sneering smile i suppose though your modesty has led you sir to put the good deed upon another it is in fact yourself whom i have to thank for so generously saving my diamonds amongst the plundering banditti of barcelona the blood for an instant rushed up to my cheek but it needed no long deliberation to show me that anger was but folly on such an occasion and i therefore replied with a smile your pardon most noble sir the person who with his own right hand captured your diamonds is a much more tremendous person than myself so much so that his enormous size and chivalrous prowess have obtained for him the name of achilles i will instantly send for him and you shall pay him the money yourself when you will perceive that had he been inclined to keep your jewels with a strong hand it would have been difficult to have wrung them from him achilles was brought in a minute and when i presented the diminutive insignificant little man to the marquis as the wonderful achilles le franc who had by the vigour of his invincible arm taken his diamonds the whole council burst into a laugh in which no one joined more heartily than villafranca himself achilles received his pistoles with great glee and i believe valued them more than the diamonds themselves after this it being late the council broke up and the prince retired to his own apartments desiring to speak with de retz and myself as he wished us to set out early the next morning for paris when in his own chamber he gave me an order for ten thousand crowns half of which he directed me to apply to his service amongst the highly respectable persons to whom my mission was directed and the other half he made me accept as a half year's salary advanced upon the appointments of a gentleman to his bedchamber it fortunately happened that the order directed his treasurer to pay the money out of sums already in his hands for i own that i should have entered some scruple in accepting the part destined for myself if it had been derived from the store of crowns which i had wrung out of the marquis de villafranca's diamonds as it was necessity put all hesitation out of the question the count still had a thousand cautions and directions to give both to myself and monsieur de retz the only one of which necessary to allude to here was his desire that while i remained in paris i should inhabit the hotel de soissons 
This plan of proceeding was suggested by de Retz, who laid it down as a maxim that the sure means of concealing one's actions was to act as nobody else would have done. To ensure me a kind reception and full confidence from his mother, the Count wrote her a short note, couched in such terms as would make her comprehend his meaning, without leading to any discovery, should it fall into the hands of others. After this we took our leave and left him to repose, retiring ourselves to make preparations for our journey in the morning. End of chapter 41